Hi there! This is the PowerPoint Tribe, where our vibe is faith and our food is the Word. Prepare to be strengthened and encouraged through the teachings of God's Word and the ministry of the Spirit. So, uh, you know, to put this in perspective, it means that while we are here seated, having the opportunity to listen to God's Word and to feast at the table of God Almighty, Somebody at this very moment is actually running for his or her life, talking for his or her life, not assured that they receive the next day. And when you begin to look at this side by side with what God is saying in his word, you begin to ask yourself, how did we as mankind get to this point where the concept of harmony becomes strange to us as individuals and as an entity? And you see some of these questions uh, what I intend to be answering or what God intends to be answering in the teaching today as we begin to take uh, our journey into the book of Romans in much deeper, praise God. So the theme is still <clears throat> the believer's roadmap to victory over flesh, a study on the book of Romans, praise God. And today we'll be looking um, specifically at Romans chapter 15. And then um, as we go on, I'll be tying our we can live a life of harmony and try to extrude conflict from our day-to-day um, um, lives. Praise God forevermore. Hallelujah. Please kindly confirm that I'm still <clears throat> audible and you can hear me clearly. All right. On the group chat, yes, that, is, that is. All right. So um, the last two weeks, when, when Pastor um, taught us on the doctrinal theory of relativity, uh, Pastor began to ask us to and list many questions that surrounds um, uh, is it permissible or not permissible? Uh, and quite a number of questions were dropped on, on this on our Telegram page. Some were very hilarious, some were not so hilarious, some were thought-provoking. One of the things Pastor began to say is the reason why all of these relative questions are prevalent amongst us is simply because Number one, they are not clear, they are not clear cut within the scriptures. Like you cannot find in scriptures where the Bible says, Thou shalt smoke cigarettes, or thou shalt not smoke cigarettes, or if thou smokest weed, thou shalt die. You know, it's not there in the Bible. So so obviously you won't see it in the Bible, but but does that mean you should take it? And I think Pastor um, clarified some of these things in that teaching. Another reason why uh, Pastor gave us then <clears throat> was that these kind of relative questions, they divide opinions. Uh, they divide opinions. And another, and the, and the third one is because we want to do what we like so long as there is no condemnation from God. So, so long there is no condemnation policy from God, uh, we want to be at liberty to do whatever we decide to do. You understand? And there were three things Pastor said uh, during his last teaching that actually struck a chord. Um, the first one is, he says, when your conscience is not good, he says, your love work will be faulty. He says, when your faith is not sincere, your love work will be faulty. And he says, when your heart is not pure, your love work will be faulty. So in other words, the, uh, the only way we can live a faultless, or the only way we can have a faultless love life is by having a good conscience, a sincere faith, and a pure heart. I think that again, the only way we can have a spotless love work is by having a good conscience, a sincere faith, and a pure heart. And Pastor now began to tell us there that the objective of the law 
where it talked about the three Ps to protect to preserve, and just like Pastor, and I cannot remember the third P. Praise God. But, uh, and the high point of um, the teaching from two weeks ago was when Pastor began to give us the, uh, <clears throat> the breakdown of love. And one of the most prevalent statements that kept ringing in my ears from that teaching was that uh the dynamics to loving your neighbor as yourself actually lends students to how much love you have for yourself you understand so the only way you can show yourself that you literally love yourself is directly proportional to how much you love your neighbor you know while i was thinking of that i just remembered the gas laws we did in in, in chemistry remember uh, one of those gas laws there in your south law that states that the volume of a given mass of gas is directly proportional to its temperature in kelvin you see, and when I began to look that and I tried to deconstruct what Pastor said into like a love law, it simply means that the love you have for others is directly proportional to the love you have for yourself. And this means that if your love for others is going down, according to that graph, it simply means that your love for yourself is going down. And if love for yourself is going down, it simply means what you have for yourself is hatred. So the only way you literally take care of yourself in that sense is how much you take care of people, how much you love people, how much you're interested in people. So in other words, it's not enough for you to just say, I love myself, I take care of myself, I want to, no, no, no. The only, the only pointer we know to you having genuine love for yourself is how you love the other person. So if you go out there today and you begin to see conflict is raging everywhere, it simply means that the love men have for themselves has reduced to, a, to the barest minimum and what we have for ourselves. So conflict and, 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 and I don't know the opposite, I don't know the word as the opposite of harmony. So conflict and the lack of harmony is a pointer to the hatred men have developed for themselves over time. So anywhere you see conflict prevalence, it's actually a pointer to the fact that hatred for self is actually prevalent in such a society, in such a community, and in such a people, praise God, because if you actually love yourself, uh, it will be impossible for you to actually be conflicted with yourself. So to have conflict is to lack love. Praise God forevermore. Praise God. I'm still just trying to <clears throat> lay the foundation for today's teaching. Amen. So you see, and, and, and Pastor now began to tell us that how you begin to develop this love for people is by listening to your conscience. Why? It says because your conscience is the loudest, um, how you put it, is that your conscience is God's loudest response in your life. So your conscience is like that um, God loudest witness in your life. So every time you are doing something that values the terms of your, that values the protocol of your conscience, it's, it's a pointer to the fact that you are actually shutting your ears to the nudges of God in your life. Praise God. Praise God. So when you begin to read, and I'd like us to open today's teaching by reading from James chapter 4. James chapter 4. James chapter 4. I will read from verse 1 to 10. I'll read, I'll read from the... Uh, let me look for an easy version so that we can um, actually understand this. So I'll read from most likely the NLT, praise God. And if you are with your Bibles, please, this Bible study, I'd like you to open your Bibles with James chapter four. So the Bible says, what is causing 
the quarrels and the fight among you. He says, don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? He says, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. He says, you are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. He says, yet you do not have what you want because you do not ask God for it. Verse 3, now says, and even when you ask, he says, you do not get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. The Bible calls those kind of people, he says, you adulterers. He says, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Verse 5 says, don't you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously. As the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So verse 7 is not telling us what we should do. He says, so humble yourself before God. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. He now says, come close to God and God will come close to you. He goes forth to say, wash your hands, you sinners, purify your heart. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. He says, let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. He says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. Praise God. So when you begin to read this and you begin to read the opening part of um, Romans chapter. And you begin to read the opening part of Romans chapter uh, 15. This is what you see in Romans chapter 15. I'd like us to go to Romans chapter 15. I'll be reading from the Living Bible. The Living Bible opens Romans 15 this way. It says, even if we believe that it makes no difference to the Lord, whether we do these things, still we cannot just go ahead and do them to please ourselves. For we must bear the burden of being considerate of the doubt and fear of others. So you see, Romans chapter 15 from verse 1 is a continuation of what Pastor began to teach us two weeks ago or two uh, church on the moves ago uh, about how our uh, our desire to want to do these things that are typically violating the terms of our conscience or are typically going to hurt our brother or our sister. He says, even though we believe it makes no difference to God, because most of these questions that border on relativity, it makes no difference with God apparently, but it makes the, a whole world of difference to your brother. So. In the context of the Bible, eating meat or the abstinence of eating meat actually makes no difference to God. It actually makes no difference to God. But guess what? It makes a world of difference to your brother. So the Bible is now saying, even though it makes no difference to God, whether we do these things, it says still, we cannot just go ahead and do them to please ourselves. Look at the focus there is pleasing ourselves. So it said our refusal to do these things is because doing them satisfies only one criteria and the criteria it satisfies is the criteria of pleasing self all right let me move on it says for we must as a necessity and now the emphasis on mind it says we must bear the burden of being considerate of the doubts and the fear of others it says we must bear the burden of being considerate of both the doubts and the fear of others especially of those who feel these things are wrong. Then the Bible goes forth to say, it says, let us please the other fellow, not ourselves, 
and do what is good and thus build him up in the Lord. Now, this is a this is a this is an apt description of what love is. Perhaps if the, if the term love was sounding a bit abstract, this is how you practicalize love. How do you practicalize love? You practicalize love by pleasing the other fellow, not ourselves. Doing what is good for the other fellow. By so doing, you are building up the other fellow in Christ. Uh, uh, or rather, in the Lord. And the Bible gave us a blueprint on how we should do this. And that blueprint and template is Jesus Christ himself. Verse 3 goes forth to say that Christ did not please himself. He says, as the psalmist says, he came for this very purpose of suffering under the insult of those who are against the Lord. Other version says, he took our reproach. Praise God. Other version says, he took our reproach, that Christ became our own reproach. So in other words, Christ was not the one responsible for the sins that we committed. Albeit, Christ was not just coming to be self-sufficient in himself. He took that reproach from us and he bore that reproach on himself. And in fact, that reproach led him to the cross. And you see, this is the template for our operations now that we have received the life of Christ. You see, Matthew, Matthew Henry in his commentary puts it this way. He said that, the old plan of redemption is suited to reconcile us to one another as well as reconciling us to our gracious God. So you see, one of the things you begin to realize as you come into the faith is that when sin was introduced into this world by our shared disobedience, by man's shared disobedience to the commandment of God, what sin began to do is that sin did not just create an acrimony between man and God. Sin actually created a gulf between man and himself. So that the only thing man could now begin to imagine in his heart that has now been enshrouded by sin is how man can just be self-sufficient, self-reliant, even at the detriment of his fellow neighbor. And that's why when God came to Cain and began to inquire of Abel, Cain did not think he had a responsibility for Abel. His first response was, am I my brother's sleeper? And he did not know that by so doing, he was eating himself because your inability to keep your brother actually lends credence to your inability to keep yourself because it's in keeping your brother that you yourself are being kept. And you see, the essence of redemption was not just to reconcile us to God. It was supposed to reconcile us back to ourselves because by our reconciliation to God, God began to reverse the destructions and the order of sin to make us back into his image and his likeness and one of the fundamental tenets of the image and likeness of god is that we live our lives in consideration of every other person it is on that terms that we cannot assume the stance of that man we commonly referred to as the good samaritan because when the priest passed by and the levite passed by they just they just looked away but you see the demand on the conscience of that good samaritan could not permit him to look away that's why when he saw that traveler on the floor something happened within him that made him pause all of his pursuit and his agenda for that day in order to ensure that that man is restored to his original state and until that man is restored he lacked peace in himself and you see the act of that good samaritan eh, shows us that that man actually loved himself because what the samaritan did was he just projected himself upon the person that was lying down there beaten and robbed and at the point of death and he said i cannot but 
attract this man because if I was there, this is how I would desire to be liberated. Praise God. And this is exactly what Apostle Paul <clears throat> was telling the church in Rome. This is exactly what Apostle Paul was telling the church in Rome. He says, he says, we must bear the burden. It is a burden we must bear. It is not a burden that we we can choose to bear. He says it is a necessity we bear the burden of being considerate of the doubts and the fears of others, especially when it comes to this topic surrounding relativity. Because that is what the spirit of redemption is supposed to do. And Ina began to con continue saying that once we begin to bear the um, the burdens and the, uh, of others, both their doubt and their fears, he says, what we are doing is that we are following after the template of Christ. All right, who took our reproach? And verse four says, these things were written in scripture so long ago, and they teach us patience and they encourage us as we look forward expectantly to the time when God will conquer sin and death. And do you know why the Bible is asking us to bear the reason why we are we have been hard to bear the burden is simply because it's simply because in bearing in bearing the burden we learn patience because in bearing your 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 neighbor's burden it is in the bearing of that burden that you begin to exemplify some fundamental fruits of the spirit remember how the bible told us that one of the expressions of law in galatians mm -hmm. chapter 5 pastor mike taught us this uh some time ago that law semicolon and all of those Eight other fruits we see, they are expressions of love. It's in loving your neighbor that patience will be made perfect. It is in loving your neighbor. Bearing our body as we look forward to the time when God will come and conquer sin and death and will make all of us perfect. Because we know, according to what Paul wrote um, to the church in Philip, praise God. Can we still hear me? Okay, thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right. So I was saying that. Um, <clears throat> okay. So I was saying the reason why all of these were recorded in scripture, according to um, Romans chapter 15, verse 4, is so that we can learn patience. And this patience, in turn, punishes us with the capacity, punishes us with the capacity um, <clears throat> to encourage others as all of us look forward. To the time when God will conquer sin and death and thus make all of us perfect. Because one of the things you begin to realize as you turn it through God's word is when Paul was writing to the church in Philippia, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 21, one of the assurances that the Apostle Paul wrote was that God is going to take these our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own. You see, and while we are waiting and looking forward to that time when Jesus Christ will return. Right, and we change our bodies into that glorious body that is free from all the trappings of this fallen nature. Right, what we are supposed to do as we look forward to that time is to have patience with each other, bear one another's body, be considerate to the doubt, we be considerate of the doubt and fear of others. Because in doing this, we are literally encouraging and loving ourselves as all of us look forward to the perfect day when Christ will come. So, you see. It's not just enough for us to just bear one another. While we are bearing one another huh, in patience, it's also important that we encourage one another. Because the truth is, Christ is coming. 
And it is that patience and encouragement that will preserve us to the coming of Christ. So, the, so when Christ eventually comes, one of the things that we will now have eh, to get that in unity is that Christ will now translate our bodies into that glorious body. At that time, we will no longer know things in fact, we will know things in truth. And from that place, we will now seek the wisdom of walking in love. It will be a glorious day indeed. A day when the world will be free from conflict, when everybody will live in perfect harmony and understanding. But whilst we look forward to that day, it is imperative that now we hear one another body. We are considerate of each other's doubts and weakness. We are patiently encouraging ourselves in the Lord. And this is what Paul was admonishing the church in Rome. This is what Paul was uh, uh, um, admonishing the church in Rome. Because this patience gives us ability. It's the patience that we have for ourselves. It is the love we have for one another that ensures that our faith is guided in stability. Amen. Praise God forevermore. Let's move on. Let's move on. Let's move on. We have quite a few from down to cover. So, one of the things you now begin to see as we read on the seven, because I've explained on this once of the sea. So the seven now started with, with it says so warmly, warmly welcome each other into the church. I'm still reading from the living Bible. Just as Christ has warmly welcomed you, and God will be glorified. Remember that Jesus Christ came to show that God is keep his promises and to help the Jews. And remember that he came also that the Gentiles might be saved and give glory to God. This is what the psalmist meant when he wrote, I will sing, I will praise you among the Gentiles, and I will sing your name. And in other place, he says, Be glad, all you Gentiles, along with his people, the Jews. And yet again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, let everyone praise him. So you see, uh, while I was I was studying this part, I was asking myself, because um, my, my strategy for this tonight's session is to take it on a fast by fast um, method. I was asking myself, what was Paul saying here? What was Paul saying here? Then uh, as I continue to meditate on it, it occurred to me that Paul was using um, a statement here. He was using this kind of thing. He was like addressing two separate from the seven down to the twelve. It was almost as if he was addressing the Jews separately and he was addressing the Gentiles separately. Then as I began to ponder, what, what is the uh, Jews construct in our own contemporary times and what is the Gentile construct in our own contemporary times? Like how can we um, translate this in our own day and age? Because obviously uh, we are, there are no Jews among us, ethnic Jews among us or ethnic Gentiles among us in that sense. So this is what I, I, I could clean out from that place. You know, he began to say, putting it in contemporary time, I wrote that, so we all, that is those of us that are strong, uh, strong in this context simply means those of us that are more liberal, as pertaining all those questions that borders and creativity. You understand? Those of us that feel, well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I do this. After all, God is not concerned. So he said, those of us who are strong and those of us who are on the conservative side, those of us that feel old, or, or to put it in, those of us that do not have issues with food, and those of us that have issues with food. Paul was writing to those two broad categories. And what Paul was saying is that both of you, plus the conservatives and those that were leaning towards the liberal side, he says everybody should welcome each other warmly into God's presence. What this simply means is that both those of us that are strong and those of us that are weak, let us be accommodating as all of us are growing into God. Huh? Let us use our propensity for casting aspersions on each other 
and just busy eating the gavel of judgment on each other. Because what Christ did was that Christ welcomed us of course into himself, both you and Gentile. Remember the vision uh, the Apostle Peter had when God was going to unveil himself to the Gentiles in Scripture. The Bible says, and Peter was upon that house and he was very hungry. The Bible says three times God brought that sheep to him with so many animals. He says, eat and eat. And Peter was busy saying, I have never eaten anything unclean for my death. I have never eaten three times he had that vision. Ultimately, Peter understood that the essence of that vision was not about food, but it was simply because there was a man named Cornelius that God wanted to unveil himself to. Glory to God that at least in that context, Peter actually did that lesson. Because the goal of Christ is to welcome all of us into his presence. Christ understands that all of us have some hidden idiosyncrasies that are still, that are still like um, the, what would I call it, the debris of our fallen nature. Yes, Christ understands that there is a continuous work of the Holy Spirit in bringing us to that perfect place. He said, but whilst we are on that journey, let us warmly accommodate each other. You know, one of the questions you need to ask yourself as you journey through Christ, if you are the only Christian, if you are the only Christian on earth, will you be happy? You are the only one that is saved. You are the only one going to help. Will it be sweet for you? Like, will you say it makes sense in your own eyes? Just imagine you come to the tribe every Sunday, only you that will set up, only you that will sing, only you that will pray, only you that will clap, only you that will preach for yourself. Will the Christianity be sweet for you like that? Then why are we so in a hurry to pursue people out of Christ? Why are we so in a hurry to chase people out of Christ? Like sometimes we get into God and we become a custodian of God's laws. Why are we so in a hurry to send people packing? If they leave, if they leave the Christianity for you, ask yourself this day, can you do it by yourself? Remember what Pastor was teaching us on King Mark. Even Jesus Christ, God himself, when he came, he started looking for people up and down. The Bible says he got there. Oh, follow me and I will make you. Follow me and I will make you. At the barest minimum, he had 12 in his inner carcass. Outside that 12, there were still a lot. Because when you look, when you looked at, uh, at um, after Jesus Christ died and ascended, what was the criteria the apostles gave when they wanted to choose Judas' replacement? They said, one who has been with us from the beginning. So, yes, the Bible might have recorded that 12 as the disciples, but there was other people that were there from the beginning that did not go away. And Jesus Christ did not pursue them. Jesus Christ did not pursue them. But why are we so in the only to chase people out of Christ? As if we are the custodian of heaven's resources and helping God to manage his own grace. Oh, let us repent. Let us not do that. Jesus Christ welcomed everybody. See, even the disciples said, don't think I am trying to judge you. No, 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 no. Even the disciples, they almost fell victim of this. There was a certain time when children were trying to come to Jesus. And the disciples were thinking Jesus Christ was too busy to accommodate children. Jesus Christ calmly rebuked them. He said, no, no, no. He says, these ones are, see, unless you become like these ones, kingdom is not sure for you. That's how Jesus Christ put it in modern parlance. Unless you become like these children, there's no kingdom for you. Amen. And you see, many of times when we are doing these things, when we are when we are eating the gavel of justice, we think we are doing people. Like our mothers will always say, you are doing yourself. Because you are just busy showing us that you have no love for yourself. 
increase God. So what Apostle Paul was saying from the seven is that so all of us, those of us that are strong, those of us that maybe are weak, he said, let us warmly welcome each other into God's presence, just as Christ has welcomed us into himself. You see? And this welcome here connotes accommodation. The welcome here is accommodation. Let us accommodate each other. Yes, that guy is bringing a dreadlock that maybe because due to your conservative background, you really cannot relate. Accommodate him. <laughs> Accommodate him. You get to heaven, you, you might see something there. That's what's on the life panels. Accommodate him. Praise God forevermore. Let us accommodate. Let us accommodate the other leg. Yes. Some of us might still have the debris of our funny nature still showing in our life. But trust me, we all are a work in progress. If God creating the way, literally, is, it will look like all these roads in construction where there's a lot of that thing that looks like VLC media player. Yeah, you know those VLC media player, that traffic cone that they always put there, right? That traffic cone that shows work in progress with that big icon, work in progress. That is the icon that will be on many of us' lives. So why are you judging a work in progress when you have not seen the finished product? Why? Why are you judging a work in progress when you are yet to see the finished product? It's just as if you enter the factory and you are already saying the chocolate is not sweet simply because you just met the cocoa beans. But you never know that the end goal of that chocolate is actually eclairs that will be placed on a supermarket and you will buy it at a very exorbitant price. But because you saw cocoa peel, you are just assuming that it's bitter, it's this, it's this, and you just begin to cast judgment. And you do not wait for it to finish a cycle of production so that you can now benefit from the sweetness that is locked up within. Praise God forevermore. So say to yourself, I will be more accommodating. I will be more accommodating. So let's, let, let's move on. Let's move on. All right? So let us be more accommodating. And while we are at it, while we are accommodating people, let us remember that the goal, the goal, huh? Of Jesus is to reveal God to everybody. And this is what is going to help you to be more accommodating of every other person. The goal of Jesus is to reveal God. Remember what the Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 15. It says, No one has seen God at any time. And I'm going to paraphrase it. It says, But the one and only Son has made him known. If you read that from the NIV, that's what it says. Put, uh, put it, that no one has seen God at any time. But Jesus Christ has come to make him known. And you see, so the end goal of God is to reveal God. And you know what? Every time God reveals God, this revelation of God is what is going to There is a protocol. There is like a process in God. First, God reveals himself to you. Out of the abundance of that revelation, you cannot begin to attain salvation. You see? And when you attain salvation, what salvation automatically makes you do one of the first things you see in salvation is that you now begin to see the disparity between your new state in God and your former state without God. And because you see the massive transformation that God has worked in your life by exposing you to his salvation, it automatically begins to spoil you to give glory to God. And in the giving of glory to God, what you are doing is that you are invariably pinning all your hopes on God. And this is what is responsible for all of those praises you begin to see 
from verse 9 to verse 12. Or verse 11, rather. He says, and remember, look at what the Bible says. Back to Romans chapter 15 from verse 9. He says, and remember that it came also that the Gentiles might be saved and give glory to God for his mercies to them. This is what the psalmist meant when he wrote, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. Why are you praising me among the Gentiles and sing your name? Why? Because the Gentiles now have been saved. Is that not salvation? Because of salvation that they have now received, what salvation now does is that it gives them the capacity to give glory to God. Why are they giving glory to God? Look at what he says. It's because they have seen God's mercies. There's no one that, eh, there's no one that encounters the mercies of God that will not give glory to God. It's impossible for you to encounter God's mercy and glory will not become the outfit of your life. And why we, how can somebody encounter God's glory? And, all right? It's simply because you and I are the witnesses of his mercy. How are you and I witnesses of, his, of God's mercy? The way we become witnesses of God's mercy is by showing love. It's by accommodating our brothers and welcoming everybody into God, into the presence of God. Why are we welcoming everybody into the message, uh, presence of God? It's simply because both of us, that's both of us, both of us in this context, you and I, we have seen the message of God at work in our life. We have seen what the message of God has procured in our life by, by the virtue of salvation. Because of that, we do not want others not to be a partaker of it. So when we see other people gravitating towards God, what we begin to do is that we become the ushers of God's glory. As we see people gravitate, gravitating towards God, what we do is we begin to drag them into God, welcome them, accommodate them, love upon them. And as they get into that love of God, what they begin to see is they begin to see the salvation. The salvation begins to show them the revelation of God's message. They plus us, all of us begin to sing praises to God. All of us plus the new fellows plus the old Jesus, all of us together, having experienced the salvation of God, having seen the workings of mercy, all of us begin to give glory to God. We begin to sing praises to God. We begin to say we are glad. We begin to rejoice in the Lord. Both those ones that are strong, both those ones that are perceived as weak, those ones that are perceived as liberals, those ones that are perceived as conservative, all of us together, all of us begin to sing praises to God. We begin to rejoice at the mercies of God. We begin to bless the name of the Lord for the salvation he has shown unto us. And you see, this is what Prophet Isaiah said when he said that they shall be an heir in the house of Jesse. He will be king over the Gentiles and they shall sing their oath on him alone. You see, when all of us begin to, let me explain what verse 12 means. When all of us begin to sing all these praises and glory to God, the reason why we're in perpetual state of singing praises and glory to God, thanking him for his salvation and mercy, is because that is the way we pin our hopes on God. And what are we pinning our hopes on? We are pinning our hopes on the fact that having saved us, our spirits now, say, having saved our spirit now, and remember pneumatology, eh, and is in the same process of saving our soul because our mind is being renewed day unto day. Understand? We know that the end of this circle is the saving of our bodies, as we have read earlier in Philippians chapter 3, verse 21. So, because we know that the end goal is that we shed this mortal body that is still accommodating some of the trappings of our holy nature and is going to give us the glorious body. Because we have this understanding, all our hopes are pinned on Christ. So in other words, as we are looking up to Jesus, we are receiving the capacity to accommodate more people, more people into the fold. 
So in other words, when you started the queue, it looked like you were the last person on the queue. But because of the love nature of God that has enveloped you, you have accommodated much more people such that when you look back, there is a long line of people that you are familiar to come behind you. In the same way, those people you turn out transmitted and accommodated another long line of people, another long line of people as the line turns towards infinity. All of us accommodating each other, living in an harmonious relationship, enjoying the salvation of the Lord, seeing the messes at work in our life, and we are pinning all our hopes on Christ. See, when we begin to live our lives like this, after this format, it is, it is impossible, absolutely impossible if the areas where these statistical conflicts are currently ongoing in the world embraces this truth, I tell you, in the day, the entire conflict can cease. And instead of loss of life, we will the saving of life in the world. Because many a times, and this is what the spirit of redemption seeks to bear, this is what we are just discussing here, this is the spirit of redemption. The spirit of redemption is such that God is revealing his heart. That heart receives that salvation from the Lord. Huh? That heart glorifies God for his blessings. And that heart in turn becomes a witness of that revelation, a witness of God's glory, a witness of God's goodness. So that that heart in turn now has the capacity to accommodate other people as they gravitate towards God, whom he has now made And when our heart is constructed, when our heart is conformed after this man, it's impossible for us to be having conflict. Why? Because by the time you go back to what Apostle James was writing, remember Apostle James, we read it earlier, what the Apostle James says, he says, what is causing forest and fight amongst us? He says, don't they come from the evil desires at war with the demons? So it simply means that the origin of all conflict, the origin of all war, the origin of all unrest comes from the evil desires that are in the heart of men. And why are evil desires in the heart of men? It's simply because that man inherently lacks the capacity to love. It is impossible for you to be a man of love and you cannot see uh, uh, <clears throat> you cannot see how poor evil desires. The heart that is filled with love has no capacity to avoid evil. The heart that is filled with love, it lacks the capacity to avoid evil desires. Check it. Listen to the origin of all the conflict. It is God cannot lie. It is evil desires. It is evil desires. Either you want what you don't have, and you are started scheming and scheming to get it. Envy, shy, all of those things are evil desires within the heart of men. And this is what the spirit of this redemption seeks to redeem us from. What the spirit of redemption seeks to redeem us from is seeking to redeem us from that capacity to abhor evil desires in our heart. Because the end goal of evil desires is war, quarrels, and conflict. Because when evil desires are taking residence in your heart, that man cannot quarrel with himself. Just the same way love, as Pastor stated last week, that love must be given to exist. Hate also in the same proportion must be given to exist. 
So if a man abhors evil desires in his heart, how can we know he harbors evil desires? It's by giving that hatred out to people. It's by giving that hatred out to people. And how does he give this hatred out to people? Ah, it's by wars, by conflict, by torment. And how do we know a man has love? It's also by giving that love to people. So love and hate must be given for us to verify their existence. So if we see hate prevalent in our society and in our world today, it leads students to the fact that the art of men are filled with hatred as opposed to love. And as believers, we should show the world a better path. Remember when Paul wanted to start writing to the church at Corinth uh, on in, in that famous chapter, I think it's first Corinthians chapter 13, that famous chapter on love. He says, Let me show you a more excellent thing. He called love the more excellent thing. The spirit of redemption leads us into the more excellent thing. And when we begin to Toward the path of the more excellent thing, our life will be very difficult. You see, and when you continue to read from verse 14 down there, when you continue to read from verse 14 of uh, 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 Romans chapter 15, you begin to see that, and I'll read it from you, I'll read from verse 14 as I begin to wrap up. It says, and I'm still reading from the Living Bible, it says, I know that you are wise. And you know these things so well that you are able to teach others about them. But even so, I have been bold enough to exercise in the knowing that all you need is this reminder from me. For I am by God's grace, a special message, bringing you the gospel and offering you up as a fragrant sacrifice to God. For you have been made pure and pleasing to Him by the Holy Spirit. So it is right for me to be a little proud of all Christ Jesus has done through me. I dare not judge how effectively you have used others, but I know this. He has used me to win the Gentiles to God. He says, I have won them by my message and by the good way I have lived for them. And by the miracles done through me and signs from God, all by the Holy Spirit's power. In this way, I have preached the full gospel of Christ all the way from Jerusalem, clear over in the recon. There's plenty where I will stop for tonight. He says, But all this while, my ambition, and this is where I'm going to, he says, But all this while, my ambition. Akin to go still further, preaching where the name of Christ has never yet been heard, rather than where a church has already been started by some of us. The sense actually look like cluster system. I'll take that again. He <laughs> said, But all this while, my ambition has been to still go further, preaching where the name of Christ has never been heard, rather than where a church has already been started by someone else. The cluster transition is for you. What Paul is saying from verse 14 to 20 is this. Huh? When we fully embrace this tenet of living for each other and bearing each other, he says we can now begin to engage the full intent of our salvation. And what is the full intent of our salvation? Uh, the full intent of our salvation is to witness Christ and carry the knowledge of his gospel huh? into new frontiers and terrain by leveraging on the power that the Holy Spirit supplies. This in itself is the spirit of redemption. Tell you. This in itself is the spirit of redemption. When we fully engage this habit of living out God's love, bearing each other up, we cannot begin to engage. So 
when when our love work is perfect, even while we are here on earth, is at that intersection or that point, that junction of an absolute love work. It's at that junction that we cannot is the full intent of our salvation. And what is the full intent of our salvation? The full intent of our salvation is that we witness Christ and begin to carry the reality of Christ's gospel, the truth of Christ's gospel, into new frontiers and carry the knowledge of his gospel into new regions, into new areas, into new civilization, and bring all of them to the knowledge of God. That is, is in itself the spirit of redemption. And that's why I titled my teaching tonight, The Spirit of Redemption. The Spirit of Redemption. That is what God was Is that not what Jesus when he was when he was living in the account of Acts of the Apostles? He says, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my people. Oftentimes we have taught this power to me, raise the dead. Yes, you are valid, you are valid. You understand? Because many a times we say Agbara, Agbara, and you know, it's, most times when we are saying Agbara, we are saying power, we are almost talking of might. But the true power there is the power to love, because it's in that ability and power to love that we can have the effective witnesses of Christ, that we can now reconcile Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth into the fold of Christ, so that all of us can now look forward to the coming of our tribe, unto the saving of our soul, and we can build up our hopes of God. This in itself is the spirit of redemption. And this is what Christ will have us all to And my prayer for all of us that we embrace the Holy Spirit, we embrace the spirit of redemption, beyond embracing the person of the Holy Spirit, we embrace the tenets of the Holy Spirit, we embrace his attributes, his attributes, and the embrace his vision to make us a witness of God's goodness and God's glory. In Jesus' mighty name we are praying. Amen. Thank you for listening. God bless you. Go and be happy to you. Wow! What a word! For more messages, connect with our tribesmen across all social media platforms at PowerPoint Tribe.